a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson, and this is the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. This week, we are joined by Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox. He's a Lieutenant Governor of the state of Utah. He is now running as the Republican candidate to become the next governor of Utah. And we want to say thank you to a um, gentleman who's been on our show before, and Spencer, thanks. It's great having you again today. Well, Jason and Amy, it's always great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me on. We've actually had your running mate on twice, so you know you have to catch up with her. So <laughs> I, I do, and, uh, you, and she's great. but that's okay. You can have you can have her on all the time. She's yeah. incredible. She, she no, she's is, done a great job. Yes. She's fantastic, and she we is. loved uh, having her on, uh, uh, Deidre Henderson. Um, which, by the way, how is she? She doing okay? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, she she had a rough uh, rough last uh, thirty six hours. She was she was actually feeling better. Her family's doing much better. And then she had a setback. Uh, she she w- had to go to the ER twice in a twenty four hour period. And so it's uh, this uh, again. This you know this virus is no joke. And uh, mm-hmm. it's it's been it's been really rough on her. But but doing a little better today. So we're, oh, we're she's in our prayers. That. Yeah, de- absolutely. And. Uh, I was really sad to hear that. But, you know, I mean, those of us who are working, we know that's sort mm-hmm. of a risk. As careful as you are, um, there's, it's just a risk, uh, um, which we're going to talk about because everything is coronavirus these that's days, right? right? Um, but let's it talk first. Is. I know we think we know you, right? You're going to surprise us today with a story we haven't heard. Tell us who is Spencer Cox and uh, why on earth you want to be governor. Yeah, so uh, you know, my my story's been told a lot. That's that's part of being in the public spotlight for so long, and and of course running for governor over the uh, the, the past year. But um, I'm 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 really just a, a kid from uh, from Sanpete County. You know, I, I, I grew up in a in a really small town in Fairview. Um, we we didn't have much at all growing up. Uh, my my. My dad came from a uh, from from a dairy farm um, with he and his five brothers. Uh, my mom's from the the small town of uh, Moroni um, and uh, grew up there on a farm. Uh, her her dad uh, coached basketball, coached uh, high sc- or, or uh, junior high basketball, and uh, and then uh, he was he was the the announcer at all the football games when I was growing up until he uh, he could barely talk anymore. Uh, and that's uh, that's that's the life I. You know, I, I lived. My, uh, my my dad, um, when my grandfather died uh, early, my dad had to drop out of college to uh, to come back and run the farm and, and 
keep things going. And uh, I was born, um, I was born just just before my grandfather died, and and my dad went to work at his uncle, who had taken over the uh, the, the family telephone company that my great grandfather started in 1919. And that's that was just just kind of our life. I mean, I, you know, I went to North Sampy High School where I met my wife, and uh, we we desperately wanted to get out of the small town and, and never go back. It's a, a you know a story that you hear all the time, and so. We didn't get very far. We went to Snow College first, and uh, but but then from there we went to Utah State and uh, loved it. And then um, I went to law school back in Virginia, and uh, it was a hard decision to come back to Utah, but we did. And I, I worked for a big law firm in in Salt Lake, and we had uh, three little boys at the time, and decided that we had to go back. We really wanted to go back and raise our kids uh, on the farm where where we raised and and to have those same experiences and a little girl was born a couple years later and and uh, that's what we did my, my dad asked me to come back and, and help take over the business knowing that he would uh, he would be retiring someday and uh, and that's we did I you know and I happened to get involved uh, on the city council and and as a mayor and county commissioner the House of Representatives and then out of nowhere the governor asked me to be the lieutenant governor and that's that's kind of how we ended up here okay, it was I really here. really unexpected I'm trying to imagine you going from, I want to get out of this small town, to a man who drives daily from Fairfield to Salt Lake. Daily. Fairview. And to, uh, uh, Fairview, I'm sorry. Whatever. I'm going to it, was too far. it uh, matters. Avo- it matters. Avoiding all the, uh, the, the flora and fauna, the, the, the deer that are you know also in the road when you get there. I, um, how, how did you decide to go back? And, and Because it seems to me, Spencer, the one thing I... Uh, well, there's a few things I, I've gotten to know you about, uh, is how kind of connected you are to your small town roots. So much so that you were willing to, for the last seven years to make that drive, what is it, probably about uh, an, a little over an hour, hour, 15 minutes or so? It's it's 100 miles one way. Okay. So uh, an hour 30 if there's no traffic, you know, hour 45, <laughs> two hours if there is is traffic. Uh, I, I will say coronavirus driving has been nice. Uh, <laughs> rarely traffic these right. days. That's the, one of the few one of the few upsides. Um, no, I, and, and I think that's what's so, so important. And, and, and I'm sure, you know, lots of people have that story. Um, Senator Ben Sass talks about uh, how there, there are three types of people. In, this is actually a study that came out of Florida. Um, and, and the three types of people in our country are they, 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 they label them um, the, uh, the, the, the mobile, um, the, the stuck and, and the rooted. And, and the mobile are, are people who are really able to take advantage of, of, of where we are and, and, and this modern society we have with, uh, with just incredible um, uh, people and, uh, and the incredible opportunities to really, uh, to really uh, work wherever you want to work and uh, live wherever you want to live and move wherever you want to move. Uh, but but they, they, they kind of lose those connections. Um, and, and then we have and then we have the stuck and those are people who are where they are because they can't really go anywhere else they don't have the educational capacity they don't have the the opportunities that other have and then and then he talks to the rooted and it's it's actually the the, the the part that's disappearing the, the most, and it's it's people who have opportunities and, and have the, the educational experiences, but stay where they are, and 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 really try to better the place where where they are, and uh, and and that's it's something that's become really important to me. I, I didn't know what I had when I lived there, uh, things that I took for granted, and. Um, once we once we left all of that and, and had our own kids and realized 
um, that there was there was something special there for us, um, and and then going back and experiencing it, and then when I, when the opportunity came to leave, I uh, I, I just I, I it was really hard. I I, I didn't want to leave. In fact, it's it's why um, I, I've told this story before, but it's it's why I, I I almost told the governor no when he asked me to be the lieutenant governor. In fact, um, I had decided to tell him no, and uh, it was a conversation with my wife and my parents that, that changed that. Um, but uh, but but I didn't want to leave that, and so so I so I told the governor. I said, Governor, I'll do it, but I'm I'm staying, and uh, I'll figure it out, and I'll make it work. And uh, it, it's really helped me stay connected to to the people, um, connected to my family, um, connected to the, the state of Utah. There's this growing divide between urban and rural Utah that I, I'm really passionate about. And uh, you know, if I if I had left that, my my worry is that I would have. Um, I, I would have forgotten that, and and I'm so glad that I that I stayed. It's made a difference. We so, have about a minute to go, so Amy, if you have one more, quick yeah, question. I just wanted to, I, I want to build on that because I, you know, grow, growing from Alaska, I, I'm familiar with some of these issues, but I think one thing that coronavirus has exposed is the inequities. So there are some real advantages, like there's no trouble with in-person school in some of these rural communities because they have no cases or or very few cases. And then, um, but the, you don't always have the technology and the educational opportunities. How do you, I don't know, bring the pros and cons of each type of living together, like to, to each of, of the other side? Yeah, yeah. So, so certainly there are trade-offs, right? I, I, I mean, you know, the schools my kids go to are, are wonderful, and my brother teaches there, and I, I love the, the people. Some of the teachers that I had are still there, um, but but you, we don't have the same opportunities that you have elsewhere. Of course, um, I, you know, I, I worked in the technology business, and, and what we tried to do was to bring technology and opportunities to, to rural Utah, so bringing fiber optics and, and, and broadband um, to, to allow people to connect, and then to, uh, you know, to, to supplement the, the opportunities that we're missing out on and, and working hard. Um, my, my company, we volunteered in the schools uh, to bring entrepreneurism uh, to, to those areas, uh, opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise have. Um, it, it's, a, it's a really big deal to me to try to, to lift those rural areas and try to equalize, make sure that there, there's equity in this process. And it's something I'm passionate about. One of the reasons I'm governor is I believe both in rural Utah and, and our inner cities, um, uh, the people of color in our state who are missing out on those educational opportunities. If we believe in uh, it, that, that everyone should have the same opportunities, um, we can't guarantee success, but at least the same opportunities, that has to start with education. And uh, we have to do better uh, lifting those who, who are in Title I schools and, and struggling. Today we're talking with Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox, who is the Republican candidate now for Utah Governor, and we will continue our conversation with the Lieutenant Governor. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do when a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story the struggle to reclaim lives, 
the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson, and we're speaking today with Utah Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox, who is now running to be the Republican candidate for Utah governor. And, uh, you know, Spencer, you've had a lot of experience, right, you know, being the lieutenant governor for the last seven years, but, you know, Amy kind of talked about this offline. You know, you just went through a pretty competitive primary against some very formidable candidates. And, you know, in this in this time of coronavirus, I wonder if you could kind of explain Tell us a little bit about what that experience was like and maybe what you've learned from it. Sure, yeah. You know, it was a very competitive primary, and uh, we, we've never had a primary quite like that in the state uh, because of the, the way things have changed, having four people on the ballot and, 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 and even people that didn't make it on the ballot that are incredibly qualified and uh, just just wonderful public servants. And so I, I have to say it was mostly awful, uh, if, I'm being, if I'm being candid and, <laughs> and honest. Um, and certainly, you know, the, the coronavirus and what's happening here, this pandemic has just overwhelmed everything. And it, and it, it certainly changed the way um, we, we had to campaign. It's it's the part I, I miss the most. Um, I, I feel I'm at my best and I enjoy really connecting with people uh, when, when I get an opportunity to be with people. And as, as you guys know, as we talked about before, um, we had this crazy, audacious idea to visit all 248 cities and towns. And we made it to 205 of those before March when uh, when everything kind of got shut down. And, and so we... we we ended up finishing that that tour, but we had to do it in you know in, with small groups in people's backyards, mm-hmm. wearing masks, uh, socially distancing, and uh, and doing more and more uh, o- online. And of course, we had a we had a virtual convention for the first time in our state's history. Now we're, we're seeing the national parties the the, the 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 DNC is doing that this this week, and the RNC is going to be doing it next week. But we really pioneered that um, in uh, in April here in our state, and uh, we were successful. We were able to win that convention, but um, but it's uh, it's it it was really hard. I, I felt so grateful to have Senator Henderson, uh, my my running mate, who came in and kind of uh, we announced her. Um, well, in fact, we were prepared to announce her. We were planning to announce her the day we had the earthquake. And so we, we had to bump it back a day, you know, an earthquake in the middle of a pandemic. What else yeah. could go wrong? Mm-hmm. And so we, we bumped it back and then announced her and then basically said, hey, welcome to the team. Um, you're running the, the campaign. I, I'm doing coronavirus 24-7 and uh, you're, you're going to have to take this over. And she's so amazing and so talented that she did um, help lead us to a victory in that, uh, in that um, uh, convention. And then we worked really hard together to get through uh, the, 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 uh, the June primary. So it, it's, uh, it's been fascinating. It's certainly been one for the history book, something we'll always remember, but something I hope we never have to repeat. So I think it can all be summed up in the fact that at 11, 11.30 at night, I'm watching videos of you in your closet in, in Fairview uh, talking to us about coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, and I, I just thought right. it was yeah. so surreal. I was like, what, this is, I hope all these things get saved and like people remember, because it was so weird. I'm like, this is the guy leading our coronavirus effort and he's campaigning to be our next governor, you know, so he's basically a leader of the state 
it was just the weirdest time and I totally 100% agree with you I'm a very social person and I I miss the newsroom I miss my friends it's just, it's hard which is gonna take us to school because your kids are going in person it's been a really hotly debated situation up here in on the Wasatch Front because they're uh, the bulk of the cases I mean half of the cases are uh, almost half of the cases are in Salt Lake County um, Utah County and Davis so what what have you learned from the coronavirus pro and con about where we need to go in education I know it was a priority before the pandemic so what has it done to your priority now yeah well look it, there there are no right answers and everybody seems to think theirs is the right answer and half the people think it's the worst idea ever that we're going back to school and 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 the other half think it's it's insane that we would even consider not going back to school and so just just this morning I mean just before we, I, I joined this uh, this this podcast uh, we were we were having these discussions with uh, with our education leaders about where we are what we've seen some schools are already back uh, my kids are going back uh, my high school goes back tomorrow and my um, middle schooler goes back on Friday and, uh, and and what does that you know what does that look like I also I, I mean I have to bring this up I have a sister that has is severely immunocompromised um, and her kids she's got to keep them home she just can't risk it she'll likely she has severe cystic fibrosis um, I have a brother who also has cystic fibrosis who teaches at high school he's a counselor there he teaches a couple classes and um, you know th- this is life or death stuff for my siblings and and so we are living this every day, trying to figure out how are we going to do this. And, and I'm grateful that schools have worked so hard to give parents options, it's the options of coming back or not coming back, a hybrid model. Um, some of them can do it online if they, they need to. My brothers literally, they, they have, there's one classroom in the school that has a separate room that's attached to the classroom with a glass wall um, that they use for science experiments and things like that. And he's going to be standing behind that, in that glass room, teaching the kids outside of that glass room with a, you know, with a speaker uh, around his neck that projects into that, that room. Um, and, and so everyone is just trying to figure this out. But I, I've got to tell you, as, as terrible as this pandemic is, and I'm not downplaying it at all, it is absolutely awful. And the health repercussions of this are very, very severe. Um, so, too, are the health repercussions of our kids not coming back to school. Um, some of the data that's coming out right now about um, uh, suicide ideation and uh, and um, just the, the – the, uh, well, I mean, just the – the, the, the lack of educational progress uh, by, by, by students over the, the past six months um, should, should very much concern all of us, the, the mental health aspects. Uh, and uh, the, the, every kid's different. Some kids just desperately need this. And, and by the way, you know, we talked a little bit about this too, the sports thing. Um, we, we're, we have to try and, and we're giving it our best shot. Now, I, I fully anticipate that there will be many classes, Many schools uh, that that end up going um, online, where we have to go online for for 14 days because of outbreaks, um, we're going to see games that are canceled, maybe seasons that end up getting canceled. But that is that does not represent a failure. Trying and and not being able to make it work for an entire season or an entire school year is not a failure. Um, every moment that these kids are back on the field or back in the classroom is uh, is a win, and uh, we're we're going to take it as a win while trying to, our best to keep everyone safe. And if we have to go back virtually for a while, that's okay. Um, 
that's that's what we're prepared to do. And uh, we just had the FDA commissioner here yesterday, the, the national FDA commissioner, the guy who's in charge of all the testing and all the vaccines and all the therapeutics. And uh, it was really, it, it gave me a, a lot of hope, a lot of optimism to hear that discussion about what's in the pipeline right now, what's going to be coming out in the next few months, both from therapeutics and a vaccine standpoint. And uh, we're going to get on the other side of this uh, uh, quickly, um, but we're 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 going to keep trying. And I'm, I'm proud of uh, of every one of our teachers and our schools and our districts that are are, are working hard to figure out a way through this. Spencer, I, I got a question for you. I'm sorry, we got to uh, go, go, go out of this, and we'll come back. And so uh, Amy gets the first question, but then after that, I have one also re- related a, a bit to what you just described with regard to uh, the kinds of strategies and uh, that school districts and just uh, all of us are trying to figure out to accommodate ourselves in this time of uh, coronavirus. Uh, we're speaking today with Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox, who is running to be, the Repo- he's the Republican, running to be Utah governor in November. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Hello and welcome back to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee along with Amy Donaldson. Today we're joined by Utah Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox, who is running as a Republican candidate for Utah governor. And uh, in the last segment, uh, Lieutenant Governor, we we spoke with you and you gave us some of your thoughts on how educationally we're we're trying to deal with this challenge that we have right now. Uh, Amy had one other question and then I I also had another that is, would our our state do a little better with uh, a statewide program or uh, to come back to school rather than this piecemeal effort that we're doing right now uh, in different districts. Sure, Jason. And and this, this is one where we, we really have put a lot of thought into and, and trying to figure out what is the best way to do this. Uh, f- first of all, I want to be clear. If there was kind of the, the, the perfect model that everyone agreed on, um, we, we would adopt that in a heartbeat. Um, but but there is not. Um, it, it, doctors disagree. Uh, experts disagree on what the the best model is and how to make it work. We also have very different situations, just the way schools are designed, um, the, you know, rural schools versus urban schools. I mean, you know, we, we've got we, we've got some schools uh, like Animony, for example, where um, there are six kids in a school. You know, it's 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 it can be really different depending on where you are in the state. Um, so so what we did, what we, we really wanted to put out there um, some some guidelines that we would hold everyone to, but then let people do different approaches to figure out how to to, to work towards that. So so the example of this is that um, if there are three connected cases in a classroom, that classroom goes virtual for 14 days. If there are 15 cases in a school or 10%, whichever is uh, whichever is is uh, is is lower, then um, then the entire school goes online. So we, we Put those parameters out there and then say, okay, school, you know what the repercussions of this are. Now, now you guys figure out what works best for your school to, to try to avoid that as much as possible. And, and what, what is ending up happening, and, and I think it's very valuable, is that we will learn lessons through this about what works better 
in some places than others. And, um, and then we can quickly adopt those. So if we have a model, and, and there are lots, there are basically kind of four models, that, four different models that you can kind of lump everyone into. Um, and, 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 and it's, you know, uh, some of them are just going half days. So every other day, kids come to school. Um, that's, that's the one mo model. Then you've got the kind of, there, there's a couple versions of the, um, uh, we've got, uh, we've got, you can have all online or you can have all in person. Um, and, uh, and, and try to work things out that way. And then you've got just the, the in-person model in some of our really small schools. That, that's, that's all they're offering. But if something happens, then they'll be offering online. So those are kind of the four basic models. But within that, there are so many nuances and variances. And, and what we're, we're trying to learn is what works better. So if we see some schools that have a model and, uh, and we're seeing more infections there, then, but we're not seeing any infections in Davis where they're going halftime, then we can pivot to that and say, okay, look, this is the, the Davis model is working best. Let's let's all go to that. So we'll we'll be making those. Uh, we'll be uh, kind of audibling as we as we watch and see what happens. Uh, but again, having those those rules in place uh, that allow us to treat all schools the same. If there is an outbreak, this is what's going to happen, um, and and respond very quickly while always giving parents an option uh, to, uh, to to make sure that their kids, if they can't come to school or if they have a compromised sibling or a parent, um, like like my sister, um, her kids will be will be at home and uh, and learning from home until it's safe to go back. So so one of the things that I think the coronavirus has highlighted and and you hit on it a little bit is that sort of the inequities between schools. So that I mean I'm sure that sometimes the Wasatch Front looks at the rural schools and is with envy, you know, and says, "Oh, Beaver County's only had one case, right? That would be so great." And vice versa though, there's so much technology and opportunity available on the Wasatch Front that isn't always available in rural communities. I, I also wonder just about the inequities within a district. So within the same district, let's take Granite District, for example, you have uh, the only Title I Wasatch Front High School, and that's uh, Granger, and you have a school like Olympus or, or, or Skyline who have a ton of parental support and, and, and hardly anybody on free and reduced lunch. And just, just the inequities there. One of the things I saw was parents or teachers told me kids stopped um, logging on and got jobs because their parents lost their job. And it seems to me there's all this interconnectedness, like, like people are saying, what am I going to do with my kids if I have to go back to work, right? We've all now discovered and are now openly admitting that school is daycare. Um, what, what, what? I mean, I guess, are there other dominoes that you see fitting in to support school, like pre, uh, pre-K or, um, you know, technology programs? I mean, I think this, it's very wonderful that people are driving buses around with Wi-Fi, but have you ever tried doing your homework in a hot parking lot or your mom's car? <laughs> I mean, I've written a story in a hot car, and I just think these kids are really, they're suffering to get the same education that other kids are just walking into a school building and getting. Um, yeah. And so I just wondered about some of those other dominoes. Because to me, the models are interesting, but what really decides their success is those people like your sister and your brother, who they're in the, they're making sure a kid washes their hands. They're making sure mm -hmm. everybody's wearing a mask. They're making sure kids understand the ramifications, right? This is what coaches are trying to do with high school sports. And I 100% agree we should be trying all of this, but to me, it seems like where the rubber meets the road, that's where we need to be honestly looking at what does work and doesn't work. And right now there's so much fear associated with it and criticism, like you say, everyone 
thinks their answer is right and the other guy's wrong. But like, how do you how do you fit all those other cogs together? Because um, we're in this at least, I would say, this school year. I would not expect to be out of this for the next nine months. Yeah, Amy, and and I, I the the thing about your question though is I think it's so much broader than just this pandemic. And if it is the next six months or nine months, you know, this school year, whatever that ends up being, there will be serious repercussions. But but it has highlighted some positive things, but certainly some negative things. And uh, and and we you know the, the the racial justice piece of this as well. You know, we talk about rural schools, but you you mentioned the inequities just within one district between two high schools right just a few miles apart and and how distinct that can be and 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 i just i I firmly believe that this is where um and and if it wasn't for the pandemic all you would have heard me talking about is education but that that we we have to focus and we have to invest more on the equity piece in education um you know you know my my party is the 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 party of hey let's uh you know let's not give people fish let's teach them how to fish right and and i i believe in that i really do we're we're, we're the, the party, we can't guarantee equal outcomes, but we can guarantee equal opportunity. We, we really believe that. Um, and, but if we really believe that, then we have a lot of work to do. And that work has to happen in uh, the, 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 you know, the West Side schools and in rural schools where, you know, my, my, my cousins who went to Bountiful, you know, they, they could, they go to high school and they would have, you know, five or six language options uh, to, to learn. Um, and, and you go to North Sampi High School and we had Spanish and that was it. And the guy didn't really speak Spanish. You know, he was the football coach and they decided he had to teach something so they gave him Spanish. Um, that That is not equal opportunity, right? It's just not. And, and I'm very fortunate that I had, you know, parents that helped me and, and got me through that. But, but what about the kids that don't have that, that option available? Um, wh- what are we doing for them? And so, uh, so, you know, people are going to get tired of me talking about this, but, but it's, it's really important to me. If we are going to continue as a state to have the success, the economic success that we're so proud of, um, we have to make sure that every student in this state has equal opportunity in education, and, uh, and that's where our focus has to be. You've, we're speaking today with Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox, who is the Republican candidate running for Utah governor. Uh, we, we're going to switch uh, topics coming into the next uh, segment and talk a little bit about consumer finance and also talk a little bit about uh, social justice as well. You're listening to Voices of Reason. back. I'm Jason Lee along with Amy Donaldson and today we're speaking with Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox who is a Republican candidate who's running for Utah governor and uh, we had a lot of chance to talk about a lot of education and some uh, coronavirus issues and we only have one more segment left so we wanted to kind of get to a couple of uh, issues one of which is economics and and kind of the disparity that's growing uh, among just society in general and I wanted uh, we wanted to kind of ask a little bit about is there anything to be done on the state level to help kind of uh, those who are at the bottom of the economic ladder avoid being taken advantage of or and maybe have better opportunities to ascend a little more like, you know, our parents used to say, you know, you hope that you did better than the generation before, where we see that's not really happening anymore. 
So, so Jason, there, there is, and uh, it's really important. And I, I, I want to make sure that um, that that I at least, uh, you know, that I that I share some of the positive things that are happening here. Um, Harvard did a study just a couple years ago uh, that showed that that idea it, that you just talked about, where you're better off than your parents, right? Um, they 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 refer to that as upward mobility, um, the ability that the American dream. You know, you start with nothing, end up with something. The ability to move through the ranks. Uh, financially and socially to 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 be successful and w- what they found was that uh, upward mobility was alive in Utah uh, more than anywhere else in the country by a pretty significant margin it's one of the things we actually do really well um, now that being said we can do it better and, and I worry that we're you know we're we're heading the direction of the rest of the country um, that idea that the American dream is dead and and we have to prevent that from happening I, I, I firmly believe believe that the most important piece of that is that education piece that I talked about, that we're giving kids a leg up from the beginning. And, and, and by the way, that, that, that goes back into early childhood education as well. My wife has a degree in special education with a dual emphasis in early childhood and severe. And what we know is that if you, you know, high quality preschool, um, giving kids those opportunities at the youngest age can make a tremendous difference in their ability to graduate from high school, to go into some sort of post-secondary education and, uh, and to be successful um, in, in all walks of life. And so we, we can't lose our focus there. But the other thing that we can do at the state level that is so important, and that is workforce development. Um, it's this idea of upskilling our workforce. Uh, of take, we, We've separated work from education for far too long. We need to reimagine in this new, uh, th- this, this new era of technology, um, this, uh, this you know, post-industrial um, era that we are in right now, uh, th- that the, the information era is is that we, we have to we have to bring education and work back together so that we are we are a people who are constantly learning new things um, and and that that we just we just anticipate you don't just go to college for four years but every four or five years you know you go and you take a, a certification or a class to get kind of upskilled and reskilled and uh, there there are great jobs available um, and we've got to reinvest in our, our career and technical education you know bachelor's degree isn't for everyone. It's one of the biggest mistakes we've made as a country is this idea that every kid needs a bachelor's degree. It's bad for our kids and it's bad for our economy. And uh, giving giving adults who who are struggling right now um, opportunities to go back, very cheap education paid for by, by businesses and government to help people just reinvent themselves and get back into the workforce is uh, is going to be absolutely critical coming out of this pandemic and, and helping those that are struggling. Um, pivoting a little bit on that, we'll kind of combine the social justice piece with with. Uh, I'm I'm wondering about is there an opportunity for the state to help um, either start or invest in um, offer grants? I don't know what's available. I don't I don't know what's out there, but a, a way to help get uh, minority owned banks because I think one of the huge issues I see on the I live on the west side of Salt Lake County is that we have a bunch of paycheck cashing places here and most places aren't taking cash right now. And I have neighbors who don't have a bank. They don't have a bank account. They cash their check at our grocery store or at one of these paycheck lending places. And um, it's, it's ridiculous to me that we can't figure out how to help these people in a way that doesn't take such such advantage of them. I mean, paying like a five or 7% Sometimes it's a ten percent of your paycheck to get it cashed. 
to me seems insane. And I don't, what can be done for, to, to fix that? Yeah, it's predatory and it's it's deeply problematic. We, we've done some things to rein in that industry um, over the last five years. The legislature has in some positive ways, but there's so much more we can do. Um, so I, I, I chair the, the Governor's Multicultural Commission and we, we work on these issues. And for for years, we've been talking about health disparities um, and it, between our, our communities of color, um, the you know the, the Latino population, which is the, the largest in the state, but Pacific Islanders as well, um, and uh, and and that has been this pandemic has shown a bright spotlight on that. We we've shared the numbers before, but you know Latinos make up fourteen percent of the the state, but we're as high as like forty four percent of our cases, uh, mm-hmm. coronavirus cases, and the, the good news is that's down to about. 37% now. It's starting to come down. And what we did was we said, okay, we, we really have to pay att- more attention and focus on this. We have an incredible group of people from the Multicultural Commission that are working on these issues. And one of those that came out of it was the, 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 um, the PPP loans that, that through the CARES Act funding that came out to businesses that could be turned into grants if you hired people back. Well, we went through the first round of that, and we and Utah did better than any other state, by the way, um, really aggressive. And and we looked at the numbers, and there were almost no minority-owned businesses that took advantage of those loans. And the banks played a huge role in that. So we went to our banks and said, guys, you've got to do better. We need help here. Um, to their credit, Zion's Bank really stepped up and some other banks did as well and went out and started educating and and recruiting these businesses to help them understand hey you can get these loans and they can be forgiven and uh, we can keep you alive now if there were if there were banks that were specifically working with those populations we wouldn't have had that problem mm-hmm. and and so um, the, the good news is Zions realized it and stepped up in a big way and have, and have told us they want to continue those relationships that they've been building um, but but again and we, we have to be intentional about it. And we haven't been in the past. And that's one of the positive things that is coming out of this pandemic is we are now translating all of our materials into lots of different languages. Um, we're actually holding press conferences in Spanish, something we've never done before. We, we did ent- add uh, press conference translation, but you, you have to realize that, that most of these people, your neighbors, they, they aren't tuning in at one o'clock on a Thursday to listen to the governor um, through a translator talk about about what's happening with the pandemic. They're just not, right? They're, they're involved in their lives. They're just trying to make ends meet. They're working uh, usually on the front lines of this, this crisis. And, uh, and so we've had to find different ways to reach them and, uh, and, and put some resources behind it. And that's something I'm really excited about going forward, something that if I'm, if I'm lucky enough to be the next governor of the state, um, that will be a, a huge focus of our administration. Listen, we, uh, we, we kind of run out of time. I want to say thank you to L- Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox. And, of course, best of luck to you on the campaign trail. And we hope that we get a chance to talk to you again before all of this uh, transpires. Thanks, you guys. Join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about the show, please contact us via email at bormed at gmail.com or at vorjasonl at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at abonsports and jasonlee1. Our show's Twitter handle is at VOR Podcast. Check out our Facebook page, and you can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast in all the places where you find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason.
Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.